Hear these words from Philippians chapter 3. But what things were gained to me, these have I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to invite you to keep your Bible at that passage that we've just read. We're also going to look in the chapter previous today, just to give you some uh, road maps along the way. But I want to talk to you about something that I read a long time ago at a church camp I attended when I was in 8th grade, and I took a youth group to much later when I was pastoring in southern Illinois. And at this particular camp in El Dorado, Illinois, if you've ever been, it's a United Methodist camp called Beulah Institute. But there's a sign, big sign, at the back of the worship center, outdoor worship center, that says this, Jesus Christ calls sinners to repentance and believers unto entire sanctification. Two-step process there. Completely scriptural. And this morning, I want to let you know that there is a two-step process in the faith. There's belief, unrepentance, unto salvation, but there's sanctification unto redemption. And we're going to talk about those this morning and how that works. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Some of them, very, very basic questions, but very much crucial in our walk of faith. The first one is, are you born again? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? In other words, are you redeemed? So that's the most important question. If Without that, the rest of it doesn't work. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's really hard for Him to come in with the power of the Holy Spirit fill you and begin to sanctify you. He just won't do it if you're not in relationship. Why? Because our best efforts don't work at being sanctified. We cannot sanctify ourselves. So the second question. This is a question taken directly from John Wesley that he asked his pastors when he was ordaining them. And this one is, Have you been perfected in Christ? Or sanctified? Have you fully become perfect 
The answer to that question should be, not yet. The follow-up question is, do you hope to gain Christian perfection in this lifetime? And many of us will go, I don't know. But the answer looked for is, with God's help, I can. Hear that. With God's help, I can achieve Christian perfection in this life. Without God's help, I'm lost. I'm hopeless in terms of that. The other question, when John Wesley was looking at how to tell if a person was truly evidenced as a believer, he would say, do they have the Holy Spirit? Have they the Holy Spirit? Well, my question to you this morning, do you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? Can you tell? How can you tell if you do? Or can you tell if you do not? It's a good question, isn't it? And the reason I ask these questions is because it's crucial in our life with Christ as a church and as individuals living out the Gospel to have all these things in place. A relationship with Jesus Christ, first and foremost, to be moving on to perfection, growing in grace as we call it, and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Very basic stuff for understanding that we need those things, but those things take the rest of our life to grow in grace. We don't stop growing just because we know who Jesus is. I gave my testimony a couple weeks ago and uh, I realized I had to rewrite it for um, the occasion. And, and then as I was rewriting it, I said, God, why, why do I have to rewrite this thing? Why does it keep changing? And He said, you're still living. In other words, there's something God ought to be doing in your life right now. Not back then only. But God trying to do something through you or with you, with your life, to get you to a place where He's trying to move you. Where you can be effective and have His significance for His kingdom where you live. Prayerfully, hopefully, this is the case. One of the things that we don't get though, and Paul talks about it in this third chapter of Philippians, is that Paul does not rest on his laurels. If you were to examine... Now, maybe Paul was a little braggadocious, I don't know. But Paul said he never sinned. He said in this passage, he said, I never sinned. I never, According to the law, he said, I was blameless. According to the law of Mosaic, the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, all 636 commands of God, blameless. Now, yet he says at the same time, in another place, talking about his life, I am the chiefest of all sinners. Why? Because the law can't make you holy. The law can't make you godly. You can still be an unrighteous person and complete all the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? A lot of folks think, well, I kept the Ten Commandments. God let me in the door. <laughs> He's probably say, uh, well, what else did you do? Well, 
Was there an 11th commandment? I would have done that one too. So check my heart, God. I would have kept that one. God's not after what you can keep. He's after what you can do. Trying to transform you into a vessel unto His glory. And Paul says in this chapter 3 in Philippians, right before the part that I read, he gives all his credentials. Why he has status and value according to the world. And then he says what he says in the passage I just read, that all that stuff I consider to be garbage. Some translations call it dung. If I have to explain what that is, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to go any further than to say it's rubbish. You don't want it. It's not desirable for your life. And he says, I've, I've suffered the loss of these things so that I can be, gain Christ. In other words, all the pride that I have, I don't need. I don't need what I have in terms of status. What I need is Jesus. I didn't hear an amen on that. Amen. <laughs> it doesn't matter your status. What you need is Jesus Christ, not status. This is the gospel that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, as Paul said, of which I am the chief. Blameless by law, chief according to sin. Hard to reconcile that, isn't it? But Paul realized that there was something that was missing from the law that it could not do for him. Paul wanted to know not a law righteousness, not a law of goodness and as good according to the law of the land or Mosaic law, but a righteousness from God. A righteousness that he could not manufacture by being a good person. Many people will tell you, well, I've done as good as I can. So God should let me in. But your righteousness is junk before God. You need God-righteousness. Paul says that I might have God-righteousness, which comes only by faith, not by what I do or do not do. Scripture tells us, righteousness from God is a gift. A gift. You can't earn it. You can't make it. You can't live into it. You can only receive it. But we don't understand that, so we try to live by works righteousness, which never works, and self-righteousness, which is all about self and not about God. And Paul says this, that I might know Him, Jesus Christ that is, and the power of His resurrection and His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul says, I hope to attain this resurrection from the dead. A lot of people call Paul the Apostle Paul because that's who he is. And he was the author of a lot of our New Testament. Most of the stuff in there he wrote. And yet here he's saying, I hope to be resurrected in Christ. Why? Because it's not His credentials that get Him there. It's grace. It's God that opens the door, not Paul. He realizes no matter what he does, it's still God's choice. 
And then Paul says the verse 12, he says, Not that I have already attained this resurrection and perfection, but I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ laid hold of for me. Now, this is the verse where we begin to understand what sanctification is all about. He says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. That's that question from John Wesley, this perfection question. Are you going on to perfection in this life? Christian perfection. And here Paul says, not that I've already attained it, but when we think of perfection, we think of the worldly view, and this is where we get messed up in our faith. In our Christian walk, perfection isn't doing everything perfectly. It isn't not making a mistake. Perfection isn't sinless. But that's what we want to tell it. And so when someone sins, we can say, you must not be a Christian. You better repent and get back with Jesus. But that's not what perfection is. Perfection comes from a word that also means complete. Whole. Mature. The word is teleos. T-E-L-E-O-S. Teleos. I love that word. Teleos is the Greek word for maturation. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I went from kindergarten to first grade, second grade, to third grade, fourth grade, all the way up through twelfth grade. I did not go from fourth grade to twelfth grade. I didn't jump. I went from one to the next because there were principles that were in place at each of those levels that were agreed upon that would help you to learn at the next level of school. I could not have learned cursive, which I don't apparently teach anymore, before printing. Because I have to know the letters before I can even write them. So I'd have to, first of all, start learning what the letters were. We don't even think about our ABCs now, but when you're very young and you have not had any exposure to that stuff, we're going to go, hey, here's some letters. We're going to do the ABCs. And we're going, ABC? Oh, cool. What's, what's an A? <laughs> we don't know this from birth. It's taught. But thank goodness I'm not up here trying to tell you what an A is. And I'm not trying to tell you how to make one or how to read one. There's some on the screen if you're wondering. <laughs> Not that you're wondering, but if you were, I'm trying to tell you, I don't have to do that. The foundation was laid in elementary and beyond, or shall we say, younger grades for that stuff. It builds, doesn't it? Each grade adds more. Thank goodness they didn't take me from addition and subtraction straight to geometry. I had a tough enough time almost failing it in sophomore year, let alone if I had had it in fourth or fifth grade. When I was in second grade, we had the number 1 through 1,000 on paper. And you know what? I missed some numbers. I forgot about them. Don't know how, but my teacher had red marks on my paper, and I remember, how did I forget that number? It's the next number. But I jumped right over it. 
Didn't even write it down. I missed it. Thank goodness I don't have to think about that now, right? You don't have to think about how to count. You just do it. This is what Paul's talking about in terms of being perfected and maturing. Is you start at one level and you grow. And you build a principle on it. Jesus even says, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, bit by bit. This is how we earn, if we will, a maturation or maturation process in Christ. We grow. I don't know about you, but one of these days in the next few months, we're going to have a laity Sunday, and someone's going to be asked to come up and speak. The last laity Sunday, we had a guy who's no longer here coming to church. So we're going to have to have somebody else do that. Now, would you recommend yourself? The question I ask is, if you would, why? And if not, why not? You might say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, I didn't know how to do it the first time I did it either. It's the first time for everything, right? Isn't that what we say? But you say, well, but you don't understand. I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to prepare a sermon. I don't, I don't even know what to say. Does that mean that you have nothing God has shown you in your life? Or you're just not ready to do it in front of 25 to 45 people? Why do I say that? Because when you're first a Christian, the next thing you do isn't get up in a pulpit. The next thing you do isn't go over to Africa or China and start risking your life to tell about the gospel you just learned. It isn't how it works, is it? The first thing we say to a new Christian is stop reading the Bible, praying, attending a church that loves Jesus and teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible. To get into these things, to start building a foundation. You wouldn't ask the brand new Christian to teach Sunday school, would you? Extrapolate on Revelation for us. <laughs> there are pastors who won't teach that. <laughs> no, I don't understand it. But it's hard. It doesn't make sense, especially when you're trying to understand it the very first time you read it. It doesn't happen that way. So how do, you, how do you get to that level, if you will, where you can? we got to start somewhere, don't you? Start being faithful in the Word. Now you say, well, I read the Bible. Good. I'm glad you do. And I hope you understand what you're reading. But don't stop. And I hope you pray. Don't stop. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And I say this because a brand new person in faith has a foundation they lay, and that foundation is prayer. Prayer, praise, worship, studying the Bible, and, and, and giving their testimony about what God's done to them. That's step one, right? Level one. Now, suppose they feel led to get involved in a Bible study and or a Sunday school class, and they want to learn more, and so they want to read their Bible, study their curriculum for the class, and maybe even offer answers. So, does that mean that now they can stop reading their Bible, stop praying, stop giving their testimony so they can just work on that? It doesn't, does it? It means they're building the next foundation of getting ready to share information they've learned through that study. 
Say they do that for a while. And someone says, you know, you ought to teach this class one day. I'm not going to be here next day. Why don't you teach the class? And they go, well, I've never done that, but uh, give me some, uh, give me a week and I'll set it up and I'll do my best. Well, does that mean that they should stop praying? Stop reading the Bible? Stop telling about Jesus? Or now stop preparing to answer questions and ask questions? Just so they can just focus on <laughs> teaching their class? No. You keep doing the things you started with and you add on. This basic level that I talked about, prayer, Bible study, reading, telling your story, is called beginning. But when you're new in Christ, that's as far as you can go. You have teleos, or matured, as far as you can to get to that being proficient and good at it. That's as far as you grow. However, when you start to go to the next level, you add to it. And there's a new plateau that you want to get to. Like a stair step. You want to go to the next level, so there's going to be a challenge for you. Something you've never done before. That God's going to ask you to do while you keep doing the things you are already doing. This leveling up is called teleos. Paul says, I may be the chiefest of sinners at the very bottom, but I want to be perfected in Christ. So I have to level up to that. But I can't start from being a devil worshiper to being a holy rolling Bible thumper in ten seconds. I have to know and learn and understand and be aware of what God is trying to do and how He works through His Word. There's a process, isn't there? We grow by levels. Now, some of us may have not understood the testing of faith, what that's all about. But this is a part of the process too. I remember when I was in college, I didn't have any money. I didn't know I had to have money. I thought you just go to school and your student loans and all this other stuff, and you're good. Well, they said you got to buy books. I didn't have three, four hundred dollars back then. That was a lot of money. Probably still is a lot for someone who doesn't have any. Um, to buy books. And I went to the bookstore and I said, oh, I need my books. And they said, do you have a book slip? I said, no, I don't even have money to buy a book slip. And I went back to my dorm room, frustrated, and I began to cry. I said, God, I can't do college. I can't afford the books. Why did you send me here? What's wrong with me? And God said, try again. So I went back to the bookstore. A little bit of confidence, not much. I said, book slips, where do I get them? And he said, go over to the main office of financial aid. And I talked to Frank. That was the guy who ran our financial aid stuff at college. And I went and talked to Frank. Frank said, here's your book slip. How much you need? And I said, what do you mean how much do I need? He said, well, how much money do you want to spend in the bookstore? And he, I said, well, this is how much my books are. And he said, but don't you need paper, pens, and this other stuff? I said, yeah, but, but I don't have that kind of... He says, no, the books that comes off your federal student grant and all this other stuff. And I'm going, nobody told me. But until that moment, I had a crisis of faith, right? I was in the wrong place, couldn't afford it, couldn't do what I was supposed to do. So God must have had me in the wrong place in time. 
So I tried one more time. I got the book slip. I had extra money by candy and all this other stuff, so I did. <laughs> Didn't realize it'd take 20 years to pay all that stuff off. <laughs> but that's what I did. And then I had my books for my class. The next semester, the very next semester, new classes, more books. <clears throat> Found out they had used books now. A little cheaper. And I thought, some books I won't even use. So I, I had $120 of books that I can't buy. Do you think I would go, I don't have any money, I can't buy books? What do you think I did? Did I have the crisis of faith? Then, God, what are you going to do? Or had I already been there, already known what to do, and could just go over to Frank and say, Frank, new semester, need books. Guess what? I had the book slip in hand before I ever found the price of books. I had it in hand. I didn't even have to panic. I knew what to do. This is called a teleos in terms of book slips. I mature. I no longer panic. Each semester after that, I knew what to do. Only had to learn it one time. Crisis of faith is like that. We go through this thing where, oh, what do you do, God? And He brings us through. And we go, wow, God, that was awesome. When we come to a very similar situation... We no longer have to ask God if He can do it. Because we've matured enough to know that that level of faith, God can. First time I spoke in a church, I was 18 years old. Full sermon. pastor was there. Um, but he wanted to hear. <laughs> in case I thanked, I guess. <laughs> or whatever. But I spent hours on this thing. Weeks working on this sermon. And I was so nervous. And, and, I, and I didn't know if it was going to be any good or not. And I'm going, God, I, I, I hope this is good, but, but I worked on it so long it's got to be good. I read it. I don't know about you, but my reading voice is a lot different than my natural speaking voice. I read it. Matter of fact, it was a two-point charge in the United Methodist Church, so I, I read it twice. There's only one spot in there where there was an additional story that I thought of the night before and forgot to type up on my typewriter. I couldn't word process it. We didn't have those back then. Just the typewriter. So I put it in handwriting tell this story. I told that story twice. Told it different both times. Read the rest of the sermon. And people said, you know, that story was pretty good. <laughs> and I went, I spent how many hundreds of hours on this thing, and the thing I thought of was that I wrote a little carrot on, put, tell this story, and that's what they like. The next time I wrote the sermon, I didn't spend four or five hundred hours on the thing. I promise. I spent maybe five or ten. And I had a lot of little carrots in there. Because apparently those were the good things. That I didn't have to read. The first one was seven pages. The next one was two. And it was only one, uh, what do you call it? Uh, draft before the final. The first one had 15. <laughs> and I still didn't have it all done right. I still have that sermon if y'all ever want it. See it? <laughs> I kept my, it's called First Sermon. That's what it is. Typed up and still there. But what I, the reason I share that is the next time I spoke, I didn't wonder if I could. That crisis of faith was gone. 
Paul says, when we face a challenge with Jesus Christ, are asked to do something in service, the next time we're asked, we say, well, I've done that before, sure. The first time we volunteer to do something, we're like, I don't know if I can or not. We, we, sometimes we fumble our way through and don't feel too good about it, but we've helped somebody. But at the end, do you see how you look back and say, you know, that wasn't so bad. And if someone asks, you're not going to go, I don't know if I can do that or not. You're going to go, man, I really messed up that last time, but at least I did it. Nobody else says, I will. I'll try it again. But you no longer have the crisis because you've matured. And this is what Paul is asking you and I to do. This is called the process of sanctification. Removing the doubt about what God can do in your life is a good way to describe what sanctification is. What God can do with your life. Taking that doubt away. Sanctification in the Old Testament meant, for example, and I'll show you. Candlestick, Bible, cross, offering plates, all those things are considered sanctified items. They're here on the altar for us in God's presence and their purpose is to be here and to be used in worship in our service. There is no other purpose for them. Do you understand? We're not going to take those and do something else with them. We're not going to use a candle as a baseball bat or to light a fire outside. We're not taking an offering plate, throwing it like a frisbee or catch oil out of a car. We're not going to do that. It's got its purpose for God right there. And that sanctified is the same thing. I have a purpose for God. I'm in the right place doing the thing God asked me to do. And He's prepared me, anointed me, and took all my doubt away that this is what I'm supposed to do. Sanctify. Another way to look at that word is the word holy. When you sanctify something unto God, it's also called holy unto God. It means it's fit for God's use. All holy means is I'm fit for God's use. It doesn't mean I'm perfect in what I do. It doesn't mean that I won't make a mistake. It means I can be used by God. That's what it means. And Paul says, not that I've already become perfect and mature as much as I can, but I'm at least as mature as I am now, which is more than I was. And is less than what I will be, hopefully, a week or two from now in Christ. So what Paul is seeing is the standard of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave His life for you and me. This is perfect standard of no greater love. And Paul says, I'm going to spend my life trying to attain that kind of love because I'm nowhere near it when I started. And Paul indeed did give his life and attain greater love. Greater levels of love. And that's what he's saying here. I have been connected to His death. Therefore, I'm connected to His resurrection. And I hope for that. Because maybe, maybe, that resurrection is so far away from me that I can't see what it looks like. And I don't understand it. And maybe because if I thought 
it's mine, I would take it away from who really owns it in my thoughts. It belongs to God. It's His salvation. It's His resurrection. I hope He gives it to me. I can't make Him open the door. But I can do all the things He's asked me to do and say, here I am. I'm thrown on Your mercy. I hope You let me in. No matter what kind of saint level you are, that's still what you say. Mother Teresa says, I hope He lets me in. The violence of sinner returning to Jesus Christ even on their deathbed. I hope He lets me in. It's His resurrection. I don't control it. So I hope for what's not yet mine. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, sanctification is only done by the work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification by the Holy Spirit's work. You can't get there by yourself. In other words, you can't get there from here if here doesn't have Jesus Christ in it. We are asked in chapter 2, in the previous chapter, something that, in Philippians that is, that sets the stage for chapter 3. He says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Same mind as Christ. Kind of a high thought. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but He made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond sermon, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This obedience to the death, to giving your life, to being willing to sacrifice, level after level, we become more willing. It's, it's hard for me to explain this real well without knowing your mind and how you think. But the mind of Christ is like this. I'm, I'm one with the Father. But I'm, I'm humbling myself to have none of my credentials with me. I'm going to be a human being. Like Paul said, I'm counting all that, not, not to be blasphemous, but all that oneness with God is not mine. I'm coming to be humble and to walk this earth to learn obedience. We're not born obedient. We're born to please ourselves. And Paul and Jesus both had to learn obedience. And Jesus became so obedient that He died on a cross for you. This is truly a sacrifice. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I know this, that God desires you and me both to be sanctified, to be made holy. He asks us to possess our vessel or our body in sanctification and honor. He's called us to holiness, not to unrighteousness. 
In 1 Corinthians it says that Jesus has made for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Peter even tells us to sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in our heart. To make Him holy there. Yet in this second chapter of Philippians, Paul says something that we often misunderstand if we don't understand sanctification. Verse 12 and 13. He says, My beloved, as you've always obeyed obedience, not as in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here it is. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for His pleasure. If you find a part of you that doesn't want to please God and do His will and seek God's pleasure in your life, the mind of Christ is not fully formed in you. It says that you need to work that out with fear and trembling. That if you don't have that yet, where your heart's desire is to please God in all that you do, there needs to be some fear and trembling there because a part of you is in wanting God. And that part of you could isolate you from God and alienate you from the fellowship of a believer. If you're not careful. Paul says, work it out. Catch this. Work that stuff out. Get it out. By getting Christ in. What He's put inside of you is Holy Spirit. He's trying to work the junk out so you can be filled with all He is. He is your righteousness. He is your holiness. He is your wisdom, redemption, and sanctification. But be very clear. It says that sanctification comes before redemption. Now, we misunderstand what redemption is and we think that means I've been saved. Redemption doesn't mean that. Conversion first. Filling with the Holy Spirit. Maturing or teleosing in your faith. Becoming sanctified, which means obedient. Losing your doubt that you belong to God and that He can use you. And then He redeems you. Oh, that, that seems backward. Shouldn't He redeem me and then sanctify me? He's bought you. You're not sanctified when He buys you. Jesus Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. He didn't redeem you and perfect you immediately. You would have thought that you could live any way you wanted then. But you have to learn that the will of God is sometimes difficult. And He's going to ask you to do stuff that challenges you. Ask you to grow and to mature beyond your comfort zone. This is a maturation step up that He's asking you to do to the next plateau. But it's called being perfected. And once you do that, and you step up to that level, you're as mature as you can get in that moment. But you're not done yet. Because once you get to that next level, and you've lived there a while, and you've matured in that, He's going to say, now there's more. Here's the next thing. And you go, well, that's pretty big. I don't know if I can do that, but God, You brought me this far by faith. I trust You can get me up there. So, I'm going to go on up, God, but, but you know, this is where You got me now. It's been pretty neat. You've used me in great ways, but You say greater things I can do? Okay. And it challenges you. And it may be the biggest challenge of your life by far at that moment. But once you've done it for a while, it becomes easier. 
the first time that I prayed out loud with somebody who was sick, I was scared out of my mind. I was afraid to say the wrong thing, that if I said the wrong thing, they were going to die, you know? Like, like, what if I stumble and I say, God, do this, and God didn't want to do that? And all these fears in my head, I prayed out loud. I was young. And I prayed out loud. The next time I prayed out loud, I said, well, what did I pray last time? And I tried to remember the prayer I prayed, and because the person didn't die, so I figured it was a good prayer. So I tried the same prayer, <laughs> get what I'm saying here, and, and, and I add a little bit to it. Because they were a different person. <laughs> changed the name, changed the malady and the sickness, but I prayed out loud a second time. Some of us are nervous about doing it once. Some of us may have not ever done that here. Prayed out loud with someone. But if you have, thank God. It's no longer hard for you. But for some of us, it's still hard. But that's your challenge to pray out loud with somebody. Now, Hard challenge after you've done that is to pray out loud for somebody in front of people. <laughs> oh, I can't do that. That's I'm nervous. First time you do it, you, you may feel like you've messed up. But you've done it, so you can do it again. And if you've done it twice, you certainly do it a third time. If you've done it three times, hey, now you're good at it. Or at least a little more comfortable, so longer a challenge. But what I'm trying to tell you is that we pray for one another. And we need to do that. And you need to lift each other up in prayer. And not be afraid to say, can I pray for you? And then do it right then. For some of us, that's a challenge. For some of us, that's the way to go. That is the only way to pray is right then when someone asks. I'll bet you, and I'm not going to wager in church or ever, but I would imagine that each of us have said to somebody, I'll pray for you. And if each of us have probably forgotten. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. I'm going to pray for them. Oh. I've said that before and the person has passed before I remember. I've said I would do that before and I forgot ten seconds later. I've learned from a friend of mine that when someone says, will you pray for me? I say, I'll pray for you and still right now. And that, for us, some of us, that's a challenge. But God's asking you to get stronger. Face the challenge. Mature up. Don't stay down here in first, second grade in faith. Mature up to that. Don't be afraid to go where God's calling you. He will equip you as you submit in obedience. First in Hebrews says this, Jesus Christ, God's Son, had to learn obedience by suffering. If Jesus Christ had to learn to face some struggles, why shouldn't we? I'm telling you, God will equip you once you're willing. Jesus Christ did not want to die on the cross. He conferred with Moses and Elijah who told him what's about to happen and he was trying to find ways for it not to. But there's a Scripture in the King James. I love the way it says it. It says, at one point, Jesus set His face like flint toward Jerusalem. That means 
He's made up His mind. He's going. It's going to happen. I'm doing this for God. I'm doing it. No changing. No turning back. His mind is set. When Paul talks about sanctification, he's talking about the same thing. That we want to grow and grow and grow. And our minds are set on that. I'm not going to be complacent where I am with Jesus Christ. God's calling me to level up. Always. He's calling you. Always. To level up in your maturity and your faith. To have deeper challenges. To grow. You're not done yet. You're still living. God's still maturing you. He's still working on your sanctification. He's got a purpose for you. You're not an offering plate. You're out there in the world. You've got to do stuff out there. <laughs> if God wanted an offering plate to change the world, He'd have made it have legs. Makes sense, doesn't it? So this morning I asked you, are you saved? Have you faith? Born again. Have you been perfected in Christ? The answer to that is no. Will you go on to Christian perfection in this lifetime? With God's help, I can. With God's help, you can. And the third question is, have you the Holy Spirit? Do you have it? Do you know that God is calling you forward to the greater thing? And here's what Paul closes with, and I close with the same. Let as many of us, and this is verse 15 in Philippians 3, let as many of us as are mature, there it is. This is the New King James, uses the word mature. Guess what the Greek word is? Teleos. <laughs> there it is again. As many of us who are maturing to the next level have this mind, and that mind is is that I reach forward to the highest call in Jesus Christ. <coughs> From two verses previous. That this is the mind. And if you think otherwise, that you don't have to do that, that it doesn't matter, or that God can't use you, God will reveal that to you. And the next verse, which I did not read intentionally, says this, Nevertheless, to the degree, to the level that you have attained, let us walk by that same rule and be of the same mind of Christ that I'll be obedient even if I never take another risk. This is Paul's call to the church at Philippian, Philippi. It's God's call to you and I as a church. Are we willing to let God mature us challenges and never let us stay in comfort zones again. I am. I'm willing. I want that. And I want it for you. Because I know what's on the other side of the challenge. A great joy that God has used you to change a life. How would you like to experience that? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, You tell us in Your Word that You've matured forever those who are sanctified. Who knows without question they belong to You and for Your purpose. So I'm asking You to help us work out our salvation this morning. The salvation that You're working in to get the junk out and Your grace in. 
Teach us to live the life that You've called us to. To raise us up to the next level. To not let us be satisfied with the life with You that we've had so far, but to a greater challenge, which also You promise a greater blessing. Oh God, that Your kingdom would come on this earth and it would be done through our work. This is my prayer. Amen.